0: Well, praise the Lord. One other announcement that uh, didn't make the team but really important is we're coming up on a 20-year anniversary for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And uh, we're excited about that. So the very first Friday of March, we are inviting the entire church to come out to... um, um, uh, of Celebrate Recovery special service. And um, Theron Freeberg will be here. We've invited lots of folks that have been um, that have been impacted by the ministry down through the years. And uh, it's there's a meal that's involved. So we need you to sign up on your response cards and let us know if you'd like to attend that so we can have enough food, okay? We're going to be asking for uh, donations for that so that we can cover all the costs of our special event, but it's going to be a wonderful night of celebration for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. So um, please come out and do that. So um, thank you so much. So make sure you sign up for that and also sign up for the Point Loma um, helping us house some students. I think there are 95 students coming. That's 65 students. That's a huge choir. Okay, If you've ever been to a, a choir, um, it's, it's a phenomenal event. And we're blessed to have our, our Point Loma students here with us. And it's going to be a good time. So um, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yesterday, I learned on the news that uh, President um, Jimmy Carter is uh, coming down to his final days. He has um, uh, chosen to go into hospice care. And um, has going to go on to be with the Lord very very soon. Jimmy Carter was the very first president I remember as a young man. I was uh, I was in my um, well let's see I'm six I was I was probably ten or eleven or twelve years old when when Jimmy Carter was uh, elected president. And I can't I tell you I you know one of my first memories is the whole. Um, I ran hostage to this the situation that was going on at the end of his presidency, you know. And that was so difficult and a difficult time for our nation. So he's always been in my mind. And one of the things that I've been impressed by Jimmy Carter is Jimmy Carter um, loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He really does. Um, and, um, and he has shined for Jesus all his lives. He has taught Sunday school in his local church for for I don't know how many years, but even up to his last days, he just finished teaching Sunday school just recently. He had well over 100 students that were there every single Sunday um, teaching the Word of God. Done a tremendous job serving the Lord after um, not being elected president for the second term and has truly been a distinguishing man that we should all pray for him and his family. Um, there, Him and his wife, Rosalind. Got married in July 7th, 1946. 76 years of marriage. I want to tell you that we should celebrate that. Last week I celebrated my pastor and his wife who were married for 70 years. And then yesterday I was like, wow, 76 years. And, um, and that, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Um, it, it, he did an interview with um, the NBC News um, in 2021, and they asked him this question. They said, he said, they said, what is the secret of being married so long? What's the secret? It says here, the oldest living American president said there is only two secrets to a long and successful marriage. First of all, choose the right person to marry. <laughs> Probably good, right? Uh, Start there, yes. (laughs) But then he said this, and I love this. Every night we try to make sure we've completely reconciled from all arguments during the day. He said in another interview, never go to bed angry at each other. And boy, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Never, ever go to bed angry at each other. First of all, you don't sleep well. Second of all, it's going to be there the next morning when you get up. So you may as well try to resolve it as best you can that evening. And then and they asked, um, they asked um, Rosalind. They said, Rosalind Carter described their relationship. Here's how she described it. As a partnership. In an interview with the Associate Press on July 4th, she said, she said, When the couple worked on the farm supply business together, I knew more on paper about the business than he did. He would take my advice about things. They were not only lovers, they were partners in life. They, they did life together. And today, I want to talk to you about the vow of partnership." the vow of partnership. I'll go back to go back to our key verse that we've been looking at for this entire series. We're going to look at it next week as well. We've been picking it apart. We've looked at it. The scripture says this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We've looked at this idea of leaving with the the vow of priority. And then we looked at united. That's the idea of clinging together, pursuing each other. Last week when we looked at the vow of pursuit. And today we're going to look at this idea, they will become one flesh. They will become one flesh. The two will become one. In other words, there is a unique partnership, connection that happens between two people when they become married that God gives to us. It's a beautiful verse. Now, I want to say right up front here today that I know in a, t- in a church this size, in this service, as well as in the next service, as well as those who are online, that, that marriage is sometimes ends not so well. There are some that have, um, that have gone through what we call divorce, and um, could I just say to you, my heart goes out to anybody who's been through a divorce. I know that that was never your intent, never your desire. It was never something you um, had planned, you know. And I know that somewhere along the way, you found yourself in a place where there, you didn't have reconciliation and your marriage ended. I want you to know that God's grace is there for you. Actually, if you read the entire Bible, divorce was originally God's idea. I don't know if you know that. But God actually is the one who instituted divorce because of the brokenness of human beings. And he did that out of his grace. And he gave some specific reasons for divorce. And uh, so sometimes I think the people who've been divorced feel like they carry around on them a scarlet D on their life. And they feel like they they are defeated. They feel like their life is over. I want you to know there is life after divorce. Just like there's life after death, there's life after losing somebody special to you, there is life after divorce. And I want you to know that as I share today's message, my my intention is not to harp some hurt and pain on your life because I know it's already been difficult but I pray that this would be something that would strengthen you and help you as you move forward in your life because Jesus said this he used this same phrase by the way we're going to see this idea of of leaving cleaving and becoming one flesh in the Old Testament of Genesis you're going to see it in Jesus words on marriage and then you're going to see it in Paul's words as well today and he and all three times this is this original context of marriage remember marriage Marriage was God's idea. It was not our idea. God put marriage together for the foundation of human society, for the foundation of families. And so God has put that down for us as a way to build strong, strong, healthy people, making healthy families and a healthy community. And so Jesus said these words, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's actually quoting Genesis here. And then he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate because they are no longer two because they are now one. What God joins together, let no one ever separate. And he says that in Matthew chapter 19 verses 5 and 6. It is God's intention that every marriage would be for life. It is meant to be exclusive and it's meant to be permanent. That is the original intention of marriage. And God's desire is for you to live your entire life. Divorce should be our last option, not our first option today. It should be something that happens as a result of burkenness and trying to do everything you can to reconcile and finding that you can't for whatever reason. But ultimately, God wants relationships together. And why is that so? Because marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. There's a huge difference between the two, okay? A contract is what people sign on a piece of paper because they do not trust each other. They need to have something that, is, that keeps them, one party, from doing what they're supposed to do with another party. We have contracts right now here in our church with contractors who are doing work on our building who are putting a septic system in, putting some bathrooms in the second floor. We're going to have a contract for the the contractor that's going to put an elevator in. And that contract is there to protect the church as well as to protect the contractor. And it's meant to be a, a way for us to know what it is that we're supposed to do. That's a contract. Marriage is not a contract. Okay? Contracts, can be be broken, but God says the marriage is a covenant, and a covenant is built on mutual commitment, mutual commitment to God and mutual commitment to one another. It is meant to be lifelong, and it distinguishes all other relationships that you can possibly have in this world. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is the fusing of two souls together into one. The, the two will be made one flesh. And that's why when you go through brokenness of a, of a divorce, it, 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 it hurts so badly. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who have gone through it. And, and they, some of them have gone through it for really good reasons. And I want to tell you, even when you go through divorce for good reasons, it still hurts. It's still painful. It's still difficult because it's like taking your tongue and sticking it on a on a on a cold pipe and it fuses to your tongue and then ripping it off and you've got a bloody lip bloody tongue that's dripping all over the place. And so God doesn't desire divorce for any of us. He allows it out of his grace because of the brokenness of humanity. But his desire is for you to live a lifelong marriage relationship with the person that you are in a covenant with. In a, where you have taken a vow. And so so, that's really. So, we've talked about the vow of priority. And let's remind ourselves what these vows are. This is where you are making a promise to love God first. Amen? Put God number one. And second of all, your spouse will be number two. In other words, the very most important person in your life humanly is your spouse if you're married. He or she is number one. They are number one. That was the vow of priority. The second message, we talked about the vow of pursuit last week in the first service. If you haven't seen that message, it is online and available to you. But this is where I promise to always pursue my spouse. Pursuing somebody is not something you do just while you're dating, while you're engaged. But it is lifelong that you are continuously pursuing your spouse. You're keeping your relationship up to date vibrant, healthy, where the fire is still burning inside of you for one another, and you are pursuing each other. Today, we are talking about the third priority, the third vow, which is the vow of partnership. And here is the vow. This is what this vow merely means. You made this vow when you stood before God and your family and friends. Here's what you really said. You said this, I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. I promise that my marriage is going to be about we and not about me. And this is so important because when you leave singleness and you are cleaving, you are united to your spouse, you are fusing your lives together into oneness of partnership. You are unified in spirit, in purpose, in direction, in values. And God wants us to have a solid partnership in our lives. He wants us to live together in unity and oneness. <coughs> and as I said to you earlier in the first very first message, when you get married, the world is constantly trying to tear you apart. You're constantly being torn in two different directions. And your job in marriage, as you walk together with your partner in life, is to continuously do everything you can to stay united and in one accord with one another. It's so important that you do that. So that it's about we and not about me. About we and not about me. So the number one enemy of this vow, okay, the number one enemy of this vow of partnership is dominance, okay? And this is what I mean by dominance. It's when one partner dominates the other partner. When one partner uh, insists on their will above what is best for the couple, above what is best for the, the we, the me becomes more important, okay? This is really at the essence of all of divorce. It goes back to selfishness. It goes back to somebody desiring their will over God's will or over what's best for the marriage. And this happens so much in every single marriage. Now, if I were to do a, do a simple... Um, Um, survey here. You know, I was reading a a book by by Jimmy Evans, and he said in, in this book, he said this. He said, for many years, I conducted an informal poll in my marriage conferences across America and around the world concerning dominance in a marriage. He said, I did this by asking two questions to my audiences concerning their parents' marriage. The first question was this, How many of you grew up in a home where one of your parents was clearly dominant over the other? Just stop there for a moment and think about that. Where one parent was clearly dominant over the other parent. And he says, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but he said immediately all across conferences all across the country, he's done hundreds and hundreds of conferences in different places, he said a majority of the people raise their hands and says, yes, one of my parents were more dominant in the relationship than the other. One of my parents. And then he would ask the second question. He says, for those of you who just raise your hands, do you believe dominance has a negative effect on your parents' marriage and family? Do you believe the dominant person had a negative impact upon that marriage or that family? And he says, if you believe this, raise your hand immediately. Almost every hand that was raised the first time goes back up. He says, "Almost, almost uniformly. And I thought to myself, why is that? Why is it that the enemy of the vow of partnership, of being united together in oneness, of being together as a team, as equal partners together in this bond of marriage? Why is it? Because human beings are are basically, not basically, human beings by nature are selfish human beings. We are sinful, we are broken. Prior to the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, we find that there was complete kind of connection and unity between Adam and Eve in the garden. The garden was a place of, of, called Eden. It was a place called of tranquility, of peace, of, of beauty, of, of life. It was, there was no shame. There was no nakedness. There was, this, there was this beautiful picture. And Adam and Eve had this wonderful, loving relationship of equality between the two of them and with God himself. And when human beings violated God's laws, human beings fell. We, fought, we fell from, the, from the, our perfective creation to a fallen state where we are now seeking not to glorify God and not seeking to be the kind of people that cooperate with our fellow human beings, but we seek to think, see things only through our own eyes. Me becomes more important than we. And that's what happens so often in marriages. In the engagement period and the dating period, it's all about, you know, it's all about winning and pursuing. It's all about, you know, opening the door and and being on our best for our for the person that we're relating to. And then we get married, and I've heard so many couples say, I don't know what happened to him. But we got married and all of a sudden he changed. You know, he, we got married and all of a sudden she changed. No, they started to be real with you. And the realness comes out when we start being selfish. And the scripture is clear about this. I mean, the scripture says this. This is what the scripture says after Eve violates God's laws and Adam violates God's laws. He says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. All of you who have had women say, do you agree with that? I mean, you know how painful having a baby is. It's very, very difficult. You will give birth to children, your desire will be your husband, and he will rule over you. The curse of the the, the, the curse of God upon mankind or the result of man disobeying God was one person became dominant over another person. Now, in my experience, I have seen husbands dominate their wives, but I've also seen wives dominate their husbands. I've seen both hands, back and forth, where there's a power struggle of who's going to be in charge. And ultimately, sometimes almost every disagreement comes down to somebody, especially ones that you don't want to resolve, and nobody's willing to compromise, somebody wants to exert their power over somebody else. And that sometimes leads to a place where there's a rift that goes deep, deep, deep down into a marriage relationship that soon two people start growing apart from each other because of unforgiveness, because they hold grudges, because they, they feel like they have, been, that they have been mistreated along the way. And it's dominance that is the key there. Dominance is the disproportionate control of a marriage and those elements common to a marriage, such as children, finances, sex, priorities, etc. It could go on and on and on and on. I've been married now almost 35 years. It's a good thing, amen. I love Jane with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. We haven't always seen eye-to-eye on things. We haven't always been complete unity on every area of our lives. And there have probably been times where I have been too stubborn or she has been too stubborn about something and we found ourselves at odds. And sometimes, you know, I could pull out, well, I'm the head of the household card. And could kind of pull the pull the, you know, I'm the I am the leader of the house out, and I could I could dominate the situation and make her do what I wanted to do. Or she could she could then in turn do the same thing to me. That is part of our sinful nature. That is part of a nature that says, I want to be in charge of my life. And this is so often what happens. In marriages today. This is not God's plan for you, okay? God doesn't want one to partner to dominate the other, to have disproportionate control over things. Now, in a marriage relationship, at least in our marriage, there have been times I say, you know what, Jenny, that's your preview. I, I, I submit to whatever you want. You know it better than I do. You are more capable. You're more involved in that. I am going to, I'm going to allow, I am not that I'm going to need to allow, but I am going to, to put, give her the opportunity and the ability to make a decision that she wants. And there are times where she says to me, Kevin, that's your deal. That's your deal. And we don't have we have appropriate control, not disappropriate control over certain areas, but it's done in a partnership way, in a way that helps us. Um, <clears throat> there are there are four kinds of things that 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 deal with strong um, um, uh, dominance. First of all, you can have strong personalities. I've met some strong personalities over my life and marriage. Where one person, because they are that A type, you know, ex, ex, you know, they are they are extroverts. They are they are go getters. They are dom- and they dominate the relationship. A lot of times, opposites attract. We all heard that term, right? And sometimes a, a strong personality is married to a to a not so strong personality. They're still equals. But one personality type dominates the other type sometimes in a marriage. Sometimes there is the distorted concept of authority that happens. Some people have grown up thinking, well, I'm the man, I make all the money, I make all the decisions. It's my way or the highway. I dominate the relationship because God's put me in charge and I'm that." And they actually miss interpret what the scripture says about headship in a home because leadership in a home for a man is not dictatorship it's servant leadership it's meant to be serving your wife and your family not dominating your wife and their family so there could be a distorted concept of authority there is pride that happens you know Because we are human, because we are sinful, sometimes we don't want to say, I was wrong. I blew it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I wasn't sensitive. I wasn't kind. I was selfish when I did that. And when we get to the place where we're not willing to humble ourselves because of our pride, we begin to dominate the relationship. And that destroys the partnership that God wants for us. And then there is fear and insecurity. Where one person is more insecure and fearful of the other one. (coughs) And they're afraid. Maybe they're afraid because they're afraid they're going to leave them. They're afraid because they're going to do something to them. Whatever it might be. This is not God's will for your relationship. And it's unhealthy. What do you do with dominance? How do we go from me to we? How do we move from this idea of of one person dominating a relationship to being a partnership that God wants us to be? Well, I want to give you a couple things. How do we move from me to we? There's two things that I would say to you, and they go to our scripture text today. And before I tell you them, let's read it together, all right? Ephesians chapter 5 starting at verse number 15, and we're going to read down through verse number 33. Would you mind standing with me as we read this Scripture together? Ephesians 5, starting at verse number 15, and reading down to the end of the chapter. Scripture says this, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing, her by washing with water through the word, and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Speak to us in the rest of this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now I want you to see, I want you to see two things. You've already got the picture now. I've already given you the picture of this perfect blissful connection between the very first couple in the, in the Garden of Eden where they were connected, where they, they leave and cleave and united, and there is, there is complete openness there. And you saw the picture of after the fall of man that the, that the curse on mankind was that one would dominate the other and that there would be this selfish streak that would go through humankind. And all of us have experienced that. And we've, we've seen the, the impact of being, one being dominant over the other and how that is so common today in so many relationships. But God wants us to be in partnership with each other. So how do we move from me to we? How do we get our marriages and our lives away from two individuals existing in a household to two people being united, being in partnership, being of one flesh, having the same purpose and mission and heartbeat along the way that you become a we instead of me? How does that happen? Well, two things I want you to see that Paul points out to us. The first one is simply this. You must surrender your life to God. I mean, I don't know how to even say it. Other than that, God must be number one in your life. And when you sense that you are fighting and you are, you are controlling and you are trying to, to dominate the relationship and it's not going so well, it's probably not about your spouse. It's probably more about you. And you need to get on your knees to Almighty God and say, God, I surrender to you. I want your will and not my will. I want us to have a relationship that is bound together in the holy bond of peace. And if you take what Paul says here, he says, Be very careful then how you live. And let's put it in the context of marriage. Be very careful how you live as a married couple. Not as unwise people, not as dominant, selfish, me-driven people, but as wise, which I would say is united, we-driven marriages, being partners, working to work together as a couple, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Every day is a new opportunity for you to get up and say, I'm going to get along with my spouse. I'm gonna to work together to bring harmony and peace and unity in my relationship. And today is a new day for God to pour His Spirit out on me. Today's a day for me to surrender my will to the Lord's will. Today's a way for me to grab my spouse's hand and pray with them and say, Lord, help us to be the kind of people you want us to be. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. <clears throat> Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? Well, in this context, he makes it very clear. It, the Lord's will is not for you to get drunk. Amen? And too many marriages today are destroyed by alcohol, my friends. They are destroyed by alcohol. They think that alcohol will make all of their their hurts and their burdens and their things go away. It doesn't, it makes it worse. He says, instead of doing that, he says, be filled with the Spirit. What is the spirit? The spirit was the same spirit that was hovering over the earth when God created the earth in seven days, when he created human beings, when he breathed into them the life that God gives to them, when he created Adam, and then he created Eve, and they created this beautiful bond, and there was great tranquility and peace that was going on. I want to tell you something. There are times when you just need to say, Lord, I need you need the spirit of the living God in me because inside of me is a lot of junk. There's unforgiveness, there's animosity, there's selfishness, there's jealousy, there's rage. There's all this stuff that's eating me from the inside out. And I try to keep it in, but it keeps coming out. God says, I got to cleanse that. I've got I to fill you with my love and grace. And guess what happens when you do that? Paul says it so clearly. He says, you need to speak to one another. You need to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You need to sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father and everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if every married couple would take the first part of every day to get on their knees and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit so that the words that come out of my mouth to my family, to my wife, to my husband, to my my spouse are words of life and not death. I think you've heard me say that before. But this only happens after this being filled with the spirit. The Spirit is what speaks through you. The Spirit is what what changes your tone. The Spirit is what changes your attitude. The Spirit makes you more grateful. The Spirit actually begins to sing in you. It's a wonderful thing. Tomorrow morning if you get up and all of a sudden your spouse is just singing, you could go, wow, he's in a good mood. If he's praising God and she's praising God, guess what? It's probably going to be a wonderful time in your household. But if your household is filled with nothing but grumpy, complaining, bickering attitudes, negativity, and critical spirits, the spirit of the Lord is not there. It's not in you and it's not in your home. And you will never have the partnership that God so wants for you and that really you want for your relationship. Sing, speak, give thanks. Remember I told you last week, you, one of the things you roll off your tongue all the time is thank you, honey, thank you, honey, and be, thank you for the dinner. Thank you for doing my laundry. Thank you for for being thoughtful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If your relationship is full of gratitude for each other, it is full of love. And we don't say thank you enough and we don't say I love you enough. But God wants us to do that. And it starts by surrendering your life to the Lord. But then Paul goes on to say something very interesting. He says... Not only do you need to have that, but notice what Paul says. He says, if you want to move from me to we, not only do you need to surrender to the Lord for Him to change you from the inside, he says, you also need to have mutual submission. Mutual submission. Notice what he says in verse number 21. Right after he talks about being filled with the Spirit, singing, giving thanks, having a spiritual song in your mouth, speaking to one another in a godly way, being filled with the Spirit, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you enter into your relationships with other people your first and foremost, your relationship with your spouse, with a submissive attitude to that person in reverence not to that person, but to God Himself. Why? Because Christ is living in you. And this whole section about wives and husbands, which, by the way, it's the second part of Scripture. It's it's known in, in that people least like this section of Scripture than a lot of other sections of Scripture. There's people have misinterpreted it, have used it wrongly, have misapplied it, have used it to dominate instead of to bring unity. But when you look at this Scripture, Paul basically is saying that a relationship that is holy and right before the Lord is a relationship of mutual submission. Why? Because men and women are equal. We are equal in the eyes of God. You, as a woman, have just as much value as a man. God has put you on this planet, not as a secondary human being, but God has created you in his image, male and female, and we are mutually connected to each other. And notice, I mean, Paul kind of backs this up for us, because notice what he says, and I'm going to point out the first line of the next two paragraphs. He says, first of all, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So your submission to your husband is as if you were submitting to the Lord himself. You have the same spirit of, Lord, I want to I glorify you, I want to bless you, I want to live for you, I want to live my life for you. And when a wife has that attitude about being submissive to the Lord that leads them to being submissive to her husband, not as the dominant partner, but as co-equals, there is the spirit of partnership and connection that happens. Because look at what he says to the husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. How are you to love your wives? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, him, for her. In other words, husbands, you should die for your, your spouse. You should be so in love with your spouse that you would do anything for her. To protect her, love her, encourage her, bless her. You're not her enemy. You're not trying to dominate her. You're trying to serve her and love her. And put her in a place where she knows that she is valuable and important in your life. This is what mutual submission is all about. It's not about one partner dominating the other. Paul... Paul begins this entire section by saying, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now let's talk about your uniqueness as husbands and wives. But the basis of this is submission. And by the way, he then goes on to talk about the relationship between parents and children. He goes on to talk about the relationship between employee and employer. Where he talks about this partnership together. Your life should be one of mutual submission. That's how you go from me to we. Now, there are two terms, two terms that you probably are not familiar with, but are terms, this is not in your notes, by the way, um, but you can write it down. There are two terms that that have been debated across Christendom. One of them is a term called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is a, is a word that describes, well, let me give you the definition. A major Christian view on gender roles that holds that women and men properly have equal and interchangeable roles in the home, the church, and wider society. So one view is that, that, that men and women are equal, in God's eyes, equal in value, and that their roles are interchangeable. In other words, there are times where, where a man could be in more of a male role. And a man could be more in a woman's role. And a woman could be more in a woman's role. And a man and, 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 and vice versa. They are interchangeable. Okay? That would be one view. By the way, you can, you can, <clears throat> you can actually defend both of these views biblically. And I could give you all the scriptures behind it. The other view is what is called complementarianism. This is a view that says, a major Christian view on gender roles, that holds that women and men are spiritually equal, but have distinct and complementary roles in the home, church, and wider society. So in other words, these are complementarians are much more defined. Men do this, women do this. Your role is this, your role is this. God has made you this way, and you do this, and men, you do this. Egalitarian says God has made you equal, but you can have some movement. It may work in this relationship or this relationship. I have found in my marriage that over the 34 years, going on 35, that our roles have changed sometimes over the years. Okay? Okay. There was a time when, for example, Jane took care of the checkbook and paid all the bills. She took care of all the money, 100%. I would, I would get paid, she'd get paid, go into the checking account. I didn't know how much money we had. had somebody, hey, how are we doing? She'd pay all the bills. And one time we got to the place, I don't know, like 15 years into our marriage, and she said, you know, I'm tired of this. And so guess what? Now I take care of the money. We have switch roles. Okay? There are times when 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 she does the cooking, there's very few times I do the cooking. Okay? Not that I can't cook. No, you can't. No, I can't. <laughs> but I could if I had to. It wouldn't be as good. We wouldn't die. But she's much better at it than I am. Okay? So our roles in our relationship and marriage sometimes are are changing, shifting, or unique depending on the uniqueness of your specific uh, gifts, talents, and abilities, and desires. We have uh, a Jane, Jane has a sister who has a son that just recently they have switched roles. Dad stays home and mom goes to work. And mom takes care, mom earns all the money, and dad takes care of the kids all day long. They've just switched roles. That's a more egalitarian view of roles than a complementarian view of roles, okay? Where you say, No, that's your role. Because you're a woman, you have to do these roles. And men, you have to do these roles, and these are the roles that are defined for you specifically. I can see both in Scripture, okay? And I have seen both that happen in our lives. What I'm trying to help you to see is you have to remain as partners. You have to remain as united. You have to work out the specific details in your own specific life and how it fits for your specific circumstances. One size does not fit all. But God wants unity and oneness in every relationship. Okay? He wants that. I have, uh, so, so what does that mean? <clears throat> what are some practical things? Let me give you four practical things here as we finish up. First of all, you need to communicate openly. I can't tell, I can't stress enough. You're not going to have a good marriage unless you talk. You got to communicate with one another. Marriages are strong when both partners talk through disagreements calmly and listen to each other's perspectives. This is particularly important when you're managing a home or raising children together. Okay? You got to talk, you got to have time together. All right, and when you talk, here's advice I give to most couples in premarital counseling, even in, in marital counseling. I say to them, use "I" instead of "you." In other words, when you are sharing things that are disagreements with each other, use the word "I." Here's how I feel. Well, I feel da 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 da. da. I feel da, da 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 da. And the person listening to you listens without defensiveness. Instead of going, well, you do this and you do that and you do this and you do you, 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 and what happens? You're building a wall between the two of you, and that person's gonna come right back at you. You gotta have open communication going back and forth where you can share your disagreements, your hurts, your burdens with each other, but you're working towards unity. Not dominance, my will, but what is best for us, for we in the relationship. Here's a second tip. Make decisions as a team. Amen? Decisions in a marriage, especially the major ones. I mean, don't go out and buy something that is a huge purchase without speaking to your spouse about it and coming into agreement about it. Okay? Don't quit your job just on a whim and come home and say, oh, you know what, I just quit. What? In other words, be together on those things. Work on those things. We, Jane and I, have made most decisions as a team. There probably been an occasion or two where, we, where, where one of us maybe have done something without really thinking about the other. But by and large, we have done that. And I would say this. The scripture tells us this this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if, notice it says, if we ask anything, there are times in your life where you've made your major decisions come up. You've got to bring them together before the Lord and ask God to help you and give you wisdom and guidance and direction in those matters. Here's a third practical: work together at home. Amen. Work together at home. Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love. That's the love of God, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when we each one seeks the best for the other. Amen. And that means, that means work together as a team. I mean, especially if you have young children at home, you know how difficult it is. You know you're t- going in two different directions. Sometimes you're both working. You got, you got clothes to get done. You got meals to get done. You got homework to do. You got taxi services to do. As your kids get older, you feel like you're going in a zillion directions all the time. I mean, life gets crazy. And you got to be working together in harmony with each other communicating and doing. When I was younger, I'll be honest with you, I was the guy who sat on the couch and watched the sports while Jane ran around doing everything. And I was wondering, why, why are you getting so mad, Janie? What's wrong with you? Man, she's got a spiritual problem. She's all messed up. She's not a very nice person. You know what the problem was? Me. Because I wasn't helping Well, all you need to do is ask. Well, don't you have two eyes and two ears and two hands? Do I have to ask for everything? Can't you take the initiative yourself? I was guilty. So whatever your role is, be together. Work at it together. Help each other. Here's number four. Consider everything you own as equal, your money and your possessions. It does not matter who brings the money in. It doesn't matter the size of your paycheck. When you are married, you are equal in all things. I am not in favor of prenuptial agreements. I think they're unhealthy. I think usually they lead to jealousy and power struggles. And I believe when you enter in a relationship with somebody, you have equal access to all the dollars together as we... And all of the possessions. And when you enter a relationship, whatever debts your spouse has and whatever debts that you have, they become equal debts. This is what the vow of marriage covenant is all about. You are partners together. Amen. It's not like you say, well, that's your your stuff. Well, I got my money, you got your money. I got my credit card, you got your credit card. I got my bank account, you got your bank account. You pay those bills, I pay these bills. And it's, and it's sort of this contract kind of thing going on. No, it's all together. Amen. You are one in the same. And you operate as one and not as two individuals. And that's some practical advice. Last but not least, let's just end with this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And look what Paul says. This is a profound mystery. <laughs> now, now Paul goes on to say, I'm talking about the mystery of Christ in the church, but could I just say to you, I'm, I'm saying, Paul, you know what? It's a profound mystery that men and women... Coming from different backgrounds and different personalities are profoundly together as one. And he gives a little advice here in the end. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. Your wife needs respect too. Your husband needs love too. And vice versa. Sometimes men are more on the respect side. They need that respect. Sometimes the wife is more. I just want you to love me. But I would say that both of us need both. I'm more egalitarian there than complementary. Amen. Stand with me, would you? We were going to sing, but I went too long again. Sorry, guys. You will sing the second service. <laughs> Father, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Pastor Cedric, would you just come out, maybe play on the keyboard for a second? As we conclude this service, I don't want you to rush out of here if you really need to pray about submitting yourself to the Lord and about whatever is going on in your relationship, would you just come and kneel before the Father this morning? Just come right now. Say, God, I need you. I need to just submit to you. Anyone else, just, you just need to bow before the Lord, kneel at an altar, say, God, I need you. Anybody else? The power struggles are there, the junk on the inside. You're not operating as partners, and you need the help of the Lord. Father, Abba, Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace, your love. Thank you that you didn't leave us in a state where we were in sin. But you poured your Son, Jesus Christ, out upon the world, upon your church, and upon us. That we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. We could, be, we could forgive one another, love one another, and be in partnership with each other. I pray, oh God, for marriages in this room, for lives in this room, that you would forgive and cleanse. We help if there's areas where we have been dominant that we would repent of that. And turn back to being spiritually filled believers. Submitted to you and submitted to one another. Help us, oh God, I pray. That we could have unity and oneness of flesh. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And God's people said, amen. God bless you all.